Hey, Rarecast listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to become empowered data owners and stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Therapeutics had long been a platform-based drug company that used high-throughput screening to discover new drugs that would be developed by partners. After many years, Pharma began transitioning to become a fully integrated therapeutics company focused on rare blood disorders and cancer. It brought in Frank Lee, who had been a senior vice president of global product strategy at Genentech, as CEO to help execute the company's new plan. We spoke to Lee about why he joined Forma, the company's program in sickle cell disease, and his vision for Forma as a company that develops and commercializes its own medicines. Frank, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. We're going to talk about Forma Therapeutics. It's experimental therapy for sickle cell disease, and it's evolving strategy. You joined the company as CEO a little less than a year ago. Why did you take the position? What was the opportunity you saw? Well, thanks for asking. Um, you know, I was with uh, Genentech, and Genentech rose for 13 years in various capacities, and in that period of time, I had to good uh, fortune to interact with a number of companies and also observe the, the great science uh, and focus on patients uh, at Genentech. And so uh, when I ran across Forma, what I really noted uh, were those two qualities. Number one is uh, just the tremendous science uh, that's uh, taken place here over the last 12 years, um, and we can talk more about that. And secondly, uh, a real focus on patients uh, that you can feel when you walk in the door here. I think Genentech still serves as a, an important training ground for so many executives in this industry. What did you learn from your experience at Genentech? You know, I, I think first and foremost is to follow the science, to do the right experiments, have the courage to do those experiments, the courage to uh, really learn from those experiments. Uh, so that's number one. And number two is to make sure that every person in the organization and not just the folks involved in the clinical development program uh, are, I would say, deeply aware and appreciative of what patients go through in their everyday lives and what we're trying to do for them. 
because when we do that, uh, it has a way of really bringing the organization together. Um, and so it's really those two things. At the same time, are there things you're consciously doing differently? Yeah, you know, I would say that here at Forma, we have a great opportunity as we've transformed the company over the past year from a company that primarily focused on doing research to a company that's going to be fully integrated, albeit in a, in a very sharply focused therapeutic area. We've got an opportunity to define our own culture and values. And one of the things I really like here that we're doing is making sure that we can work very quickly and nimbly. Um, and, uh, you know, I think to the extent that you work in large companies, uh, there's a lot, I would say, of, you know, uh, honestly needed um, uh, bureaucracy in some cases because of the size of the organization. So what I'm really trying to do differently here in a small organization is to make sure that we have the kind of processes and ways of working here that are right for Forma and that we can move very, very quickly. There has been a real transition since you joined the company. Is that the vision to become a, a fully integrated pharmaceutical company? Yeah, in fact, there has been quite a transformation. Um, as I mentioned, the company was originally founded uh, on chemistry. Uh, it was a chemistry research-based organization known for chemistry platforms, high-throughput screening, and the company uh, did very well, attracted a number of partners and raised over $900 million in non-dilutive funding from partners. So very successful. Um, but when I came on board, uh, it was a time to step back. And what we decided to do is to go forward and be a fully integrated company versus just a company that would focus on research. And so we've purposely decided now going forward, we're going to focus on rare hematologic disorders uh, and cancers and be fully integrated. That is research development and ultimately, if we're successful, commercialization. So it's quite a big change from the past, uh, I would say, 11 years. And so the, for the past uh, year or so, we've gone through a pretty dramatic transformation. And now what's exciting now is this year, uh, it's all ahead of us. And uh, we're uh, rapidly moving to execute on our new vision. Well, let's talk about your pipeline. Your One of your lead programs is in sickle cell disease. What is sickle cell disease? How does it manifest itself? Yeah, sickle cell disease results from a point mutation in red blood cells and makes them basically, instead of round, sickle-shaped. And so if you might imagine uh, a tube and you see tennis balls rolling through at the inside of the tube, that would be a normal red blood cell. Now imagine if you were trying to force bananas through the tube. Uh, sickled shape. You can see how it would not flow as well, that it could get clogged up, and there are lots of things that can happen. So really the consequences of sickle cell, which largely affect African-American uh, patients, uh, are pain, uh, acute chest syndrome, stroke, organ damage, all the things that result from this red blood cell being sick, basically, if I were to simplify it. 
And uh, what we're trying to do here with uh, our molecule is to really help the red blood cell be healthier. Uh, and so it'll have potential utility in not only helping sickle cell patients, but potentially um, other disorders and diseases where you fundamentally have a sick red blood cell. And what's the prognosis for a patient with a condition today? Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's difficult for patients. Uh, typically, they're diagnosed by age six months in normal screening, and uh, they'll uh, have, depending on the patient type, uh, various uh, symptoms, mostly pain-oriented. Some will, like I mentioned, have uh, organ dysfunction, uh, problems with eyesight. There's lots of different uh, morbidities associated with sickle cell disease. But by and large, these days, patients live into their, say, mid-40s or so. Um, but it's a difficult, difficult journey for patients that often results in multiple visits uh, to the emergency room. And uh, it's very difficult for patients because once they're there, then, you know, it's often referred to as the invisible disease because patients basically look normal, but on the inside, because of the sick red blood cell, they have all sorts of problems and issues. Uh, and so it's exacerbated these days by the you know, pain epidemic, if you will, around OxyContin. So there are a number of number of different challenges. It's a different journey or a difficult journey, but um, unfortunately, uh, patients don't live typically beyond their mid to late 40s. Form is developing FT4202. This is a, a kinase activator. What exactly does it do? This is a P PKR, pyruvate kinase, for red blood cells. And uh, what it does is it decreases what we call 2,3-DPG, uh, which helps with uh, oxygen affinity. And secondly, it increases ATP which is, as many of us know, is an energy source for the cell uh, because red blood cells don't have nucleuses. They need ATP for an energy source to keep them healthy. So it works by two different ways, and um, our hope is that uh, it'll be able to address both uh, improvement in hemoglobin as well as an improvement in vasoocclusive crisis because right now, unfortunately, the products that are available to patients now only treat one or the other, that is, increases hemoglobin or vasoclusive crisis, but not both. We've seen a, a real sudden interest in innovation in the area of sickle cell. Where does FT4202 fit into the drugs recently approved and now in the pipeline? How, how unique an approach is this? Sure. You know, it's, uh, I remember a day when there wasn't much interest in sickle cell for whatever reason. And uh, it's been wonderful to see uh, science really evolving in the area of sickle cell. So most recently, you might know that uh, in addition to hydroxyurea and L-glutamine, there were two other uh, products approved. Uh, one is called Voxelitor, another one is called Crizolizumab. And so the former, uh, when you take a look at the literature, uh, helps with raising hemoglobin, 
and potentially not VOCs. Whereas crisolizumab, the other one, helps with VOCs, but not with hemoglobin. And so what we aspire to do for patients is in a single pill, once a day pill, uh, to both have an impact on hemoglobin, which is important uh, for anemia, and secondly, on vasoocclusive crisis. So that's our hope uh, in terms of how uh, we'll help patients going forward. But like I said, it's really wonderful to see science advance for sickle cell patients, and, uh, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to bring this molecule to the marketplace uh, to further help patients. Now, what do you know about it today? Well, you know, we've, uh, we've been fortunate to be able to present uh, at the American Society of uh, Hematologists back in Orlando. I believe that was in early December. And we were able to present some of the preclinical data as well as our healthy volunteer data. Um, and, uh, you know, we're really pleased that those data were uh, able to be presented in an oral presentation there at ASH. And now we're working very hard, uh, are in the midst of process, uh, in, in the process of dosing sickle cell patients. And uh, we expect to be presenting some of those early results uh, in the not-too-distant future. What's the clinical development path forward? You know, the clinical uh, development path forward is one where uh, first we'll have to see what the early results look like. But we anticipate that, you know, given favorable results, that we'll go into our pivotal phase two, three program uh, sometime potentially later this year and, um, uh, and proceed with that program uh, in a way, hopefully, that we'll find a way to accelerate uh, approval of this program uh, based on the results because the needs uh, in this sickle cell patient population are really great um, and uh, huge, despite the recent approvals. Uh, in addition, we also plan to further explore other potential uses uh, for this PKR molecule because, as I mentioned, what it does is it helps to make sick, uh, sick red blood cells healthier. And so there are other disorders and diseases that... Um, may be helpful to explore and we're going to do that. Your lead program is actually in AML. What's AML and, and what's the prognosis for patients with the condition today? So um, one of our molecules is called FT2102. And uh, right now we're studying it for relapse refractory AML. And so these are later Lyme patients and we're studying it both uh, by itself as well as in combination uh, with azacitidine, which is the standard of care. And so we're really pleased to have that program fully enrolled. Uh, it's a pivotal program, and uh, what we expect is that by sometime around the middle of the year, we'll be able to take a look at those results, and assuming they're favorable, then that would enable us to file a new drug application in NDA with the FDA for approval. Unfortunately, uh, for AML patients, particularly late line, the prognosis isn't good. And so whatever we can do to advance their care and extend their life, uh, we should do. And what's great is with targeted agents, um, 
we can be very, very targeted in, in our approach. In this case, um, with the IDH1 mutation is what we're specifically targeting with this uh, oral drug. And how exactly does the drug work? This is addressing the underlying metabolic process, progress of certain cancers? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it does impact the cancer metabolism, if you will. And so what happens is in AML, uh, once a patient is diagnosed with AML, what happens is during the course of the disease, they may experience various types of mutations. Uh, and one of those mutations is IDH. And um, if we block that enzyme, uh, we can help to stop the progression, at least for a certain period of time. For that, uh, for that cancer. Now, they'll develop other potential mutations. LIT3 is another one, uh, and there are various other ones. And so, oftentimes, these medications can be used by themselves or in combination with uh, azacitidine, which then has a broader effect beyond that particular mutation. So, we have to be very careful about watching patients to make sure that they're responding and that mutation is the one that is really driving the cancer at that period of time, and then adjust medications accordingly. And is the expectation that you'd be looking at this in, in, as a combination therapy? Yes, we are. Uh, we are currently doing that with azacitidine, and uh, we do have other arms where we, we're looking at naive, treatment-naive patients as well. At the end of last year, Forma completed a $100 million venture financing, what has this meant for the company, and, and how far is it going to take you? Well, you know, it's interesting. With uh, Forma, Forma was originally founded with a small amount of venture capital investment back about 12 years ago. And ever since then, uh, prior to this uh, recent financing, the company hasn't had a need to, fa to finance the company. Uh, it was largely financed through partner partnerships. And so the company had a number of partnerships during the course of its 12-year uh, history. And so, uh, as I mentioned earlier, when that partnership research model came to an end and we started to focus the company on being a fully integrated research development and commercialization company in the rare hemoc space, we decided then at that point in time that, you know, uh, we should go out uh, and get some financing and so we were really pleased to not only get the uh, financing done in very short order, uh, because we were literally reintroducing Forma to investors at that period of time. Uh, we got a lot of, I think, uh, great attention and response from the investment community. And, uh, you know, outside of the number itself, uh, $100 million, which is impressive, what we're, um, I think, more pleased about is the quality of the investors that we have on board. Uh, long-term investors that will help us um, really develop and commercialize uh, these products uh, going forward. So it means a tremendous amount, not only now, but going forward. Uh, and so uh, this financing, along with the uh, resources and cash that we had on the balance sheet at the time of the financing, will take us uh, quite a few um, you know, years ahead of us. Frank Lee, CEO of Forma Therapeutics. Frank, thanks so much for your time today. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening. 
For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.